Welcome to the Wrap Yourself in Joy podcast. I'm Karen Dwyer, speaker, teacher, and author of four books on joy. If you are searching for more joy in your life, join me for about 15 minutes every week. It could change your life. My newest series is called Esther and Turnaround Joy and is based on my book, Esther for Such a Time as This, Prayer, Reversals, and Joy. It has an imprimatur and a built-in study guide. Why not invite a friend or small group to join you in listening? Then meet over coffee every week to go through a chapter and grow in joy together. The podcast is brought to you by the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. Please subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Hello. Welcome to Wrap Yourself in Joy. I'm Karen Dwyer, and you are listening to my third series called Esther and Turnaround Joy. So we're going to jump into episode four today called Unwavering Resolve and the First Edict. There we will join Esther and Mordecai five years after King Ahasuerus sponsored the beauty contest, crowned Esther as queen, and celebrated with the queen's banquet. Today, the providential hand of God becomes more evident as we see why God put Esther in a position of influence, even before the Jewish people faced the prospect of annihilation. Now it's 474 BC, and we join Mordecai as he stands near the palace gate and overhears a plot to kill the king. So let's start reading Esther 2, just a few verses, 19 through 23. When the virgins were being gathered together, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Now Esther had not revealed her kindred or her people as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai, just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Turish, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Ahasuerus. But the matter came to the knowledge of Mordecai. And he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, both men were hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Annals in the presence of the king. So first we notice that Mordecai is sitting at the gate, checking on information about Esther, but also likely working in some official government position. The gate was the entry to the palace where legal and commercial business or transactions occurred. We also note that Mordecai told Esther not to reveal her nationality, even five years later. While at the gate, Mordecai overheard a plot to kill King Ahasuerus and reported it to Esther, who told the king. The villains were hanged, which means at least their heads were hung on sticks for all to see what happens to those that plot against the king. Acts of loyalty like Mordecai's were officially recorded, so the king could reward the hero. The two would-be assassins were Big Than and Turish, guards at the king's private quarters, and they'd become angry at King Ahasuerus. Now, according to Esther 1-2, Big Tha, which could possibly be short for Big Than, was one of the king's eunuchs who attended him and whom he sent to fetch Queen Vashti. Now, this could be a sign of intrigue in the king's palace. Maybe Big Than did not want to see Vashti go or was in collaboration with her. But most importantly, the official record of Mordecai's loyalty will soon turn out to be very significant for Mordecai and for the Jewish nation. So let's continue reading Esther 3, 1 through 6. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite 
and advanced him and set his seat above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and did obeisance to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or do obeisance. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you disobey the king's command? When they spoke to him day after day and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would avail, for he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or do obeisance to him, Haman was infuriated. But he thought it beneath him to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So having been told who Mordecai's people were, Haman plotted to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. So here we see Mordecai was resolute. He refused to bow down to Haman because at that time, the Jewish people would not bow down in adoration to anyone but God. They were following God's commands, like Exodus 23 through 6, that said, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or the earth beneath. And it goes on to say, You shall not bow down to them or serve them. So Mordecai stood with unwavering resolve, which means he was firm, determined, not shakable, and displayed unwavering loyalty. Next, we meet Haman who had a bad temper and was recently promoted to the king's top advisor. He was an Agagite or descendant of King Agag, the Amalekite who was spared by King Saul against God's direct command, but later was killed by the prophet Samuel. The Amalekites were a fierce nomadic tribe who made their living by raiding settlements, killing the men, women, and children, and taking their possessions. The Amalekites had a blood feud with Israel which demanded total extermination of all Israelites. Haman's hostility toward all Jews is confirmed in Esther 3.10, where Haman is called the enemy of the Jews. Now let's read on with our last part for today of Esther 3.7-15. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is, the lot, before Haman, day after day, and they cast it month after month, till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and separated among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that is not appropriate for the king to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, Let a decree be issued for their destruction, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, so they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took a signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. The king said to Haman, The money is given to you and the people as well, to do with them as it seems good to you. Then the king's secretaries were summoned on the thirteenth day of the first month, and an edict according to all that Haman commanded was written to the king's satraps and to the governors all over the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its own script and every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces, giving orders to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, 
women and children in one day, the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation, calling on all peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went quickly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. Esther 13 in the original Deuterocanonical editions includes the letter written by Haman in the name of King Ahasuerus, and it added just a bit more information in verses 5 through 7, and this is what it says. We understand that this people, and it alone, stands constantly in opposition to every nation, perversely following a strange manner of life and laws, and is ill-disposed to our government, doing all the harm they can so that our kingdom may not attain stability. Therefore, we have decreed, in the letters written by Haman, who is in charge of affairs and is our second father, shall all wives and children included be utterly destroyed by the swords of their enemies, without pity or restraint on the fourteenth day of the twelfth month, Adar of this present year, so that those who have long been hostile may in a single day go down in violence and leave our government completely secure and untroubled hereafter. So the purr, the plan, and the drink can summarize this last section of Esther chapter 3. So far we know that Mordecai stood firm with unwavering faith and obedience to God's law. He refused to bow to Haman day after day, knowing it could mean loss of his position or even death. Haman didn't seem to notice that Mordecai didn't bow to him at first. But when his servants told him that Mordecai said he didn't bow because he was a Jew, Haman became infuriated. Haman's ego demanded the veneration, so Haman plotted to kill all the Jews to quell the insult and his hatred. According to Esther 3.7, it was April 374 BC, the month of Nisan on the Hebrew lunar calendar, that Haman cast the poor. Purim is the plural form of poor. The Purim were similar to our dice, and were thrown to help make decisions and choose dates. Haman was seeking to choose the date to kill all the Jews and the date to ask the king for a genocide edict or written command against all Jews. Esther 3.7 further indicates the poor fell on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the day of Adar, or March 7, 374 B.C. Haman offered the king a large sum of money, 10,000 talents, or about 375 pounds of silver, which, of course, he hoped to acquire from killing families and plundering the Jewish homes. He suggested two contrived reasons to the king. The Jews have their own law and thus were breaking the king's laws, both of which were not true. The Jews were not breaking any known laws. Also, the king pretended the money wasn't important to him. But after the wars and the losses to the Greeks, likely the money was important. King Ahasuerus gave Haman his signet ring, which was his personal signature, used to stamp the wax on an official letter from the king. Haman summoned the scribes to draft the edict in King Ahasuerus' name on the day before Passover, April 17, 474 B.C. The announcement was sent out to 127 provinces of the Persian Empire on Passover, the very day the Jewish families annually commemorated God's delivering them from slavery. Obviously, the date was chosen to dishearten and terrorize the Jewish people, and it did. 
Their Passover celebration with family and friends was quickly turned into a day of confusion and weeping. How ironic the day of the announcement would fall on a commemoration of God's deliverance. Could God again deliver them from destruction? Actually, it would be only God who could. To Haman and the king, it was just another day to celebrate the power, so they had a drink. Haman's heart was hardened with generational hatred, so he rejoiced in the coming genocide of the Jews. Fortunately, this is not the end of the story, as Hebrews 4.13 reminds us. Before God, no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Little did Haman know that the God of heaven was in control. Not Haman, not the Purim, not his pagan gods. Plus, Queen Esther was a Jew. Well, it's time to end our journey for today with a bit of personal reflection. We witnessed a good example of unwavering resolve with Mordecai. Reminds each of us that there is a time for unwavering resolve or determination when we must follow God, no matter the cost. Standing firm could bring persecution, but we can be confident that God is with us. In fact, the Holy Spirit is the one who will empower us in situations where we show unwavering loyalty to God. We cannot deny God's commandments. In Esther chapters 2 and 3, Mordecai refused to bow and worship to anyone or anything other than the God of heaven and earth. He was following the first two commandments in Exodus 20. You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not bow to them. There are times when compromise is the right choice. Compromise means to look for the middle ground in differences of opinion or conflict. It's an essential approach to managing or keeping peace amidst differing positions in marriage, in the workplace, and in many other situations. As Christians, there are times when we must have resolve. The Ten Commandments are also important to us. Psalm 119, 2-4, Good News Translation says, Happy, or blessed and joyful, are all who search for God and always do His will, rejecting compromise with evil and walking only in His paths. You, O God, have given us your laws to obey. So we see the compromises we cannot make are with evil and any choices that lead us to violate God's law. So let's consider a few takeaways from the book of Esther today. Which principles would most apply to your life? Here's one. My unwavering resolve and devotion to God may be met with persecution, but I can choose to be strong in the Lord and keep His commandments. Let's ask God. Where do you want me to have unwavering resolve, especially in honoring you with my life? Finally, this week, please know I am praying that God will answer you with gifts of more courage, more power, more love, and more of His joy. Thanks for joining me today. Please visit me on my website, wrapyourselfinjoy.com, where you can learn more about my books download free bookmarks, and connect with me. Please follow me on your favorite podcast app and invite a friend to join you too. You can download the show notes from today at wrapyourselfenjoypodcast.com. Until next week, this is your friend, Karen Dwyer, reminding you to wrap yourself in joy. <music>